Hey, everybody. Welcome to Where the Fuck Are We? The foreign affairs show that asks the three most important questions for Americans. Where the fuck are we? Why the fuck are we there? And what the fuck does it have to do with me? I'm Kevin Janis. I'm Benari Poulton. And who the fuck are we? Barry. Tell them who we are. Benari Poulton is a writer and comedian and adjunct professor at Cal State Fullerton and a master sergeant in the U.S. Army Reserve, where he is affectionately known as G.I. Jew. Kevin Janis, in addition to being a very funny comedian and writer himself, is a fancy New York-based litigator, a Canadian, and like all Canadians, an expert at being foreign. Thanks, Barry. As always, the opinions I express here are my own and in no way reflect those of the U.S. Army, the U.S. government, or anyone official in any way whatsoever. So a while back, uh, we told you all about Vladimir Putin and Russia and Crimea. Well, much like Putin's Russia, this story keeps expanding. Boom! So... Where the fuck are we this time? Back in the U.S., back in the U.S., back in the U.S. is all. Russian forces take Crimea. Parliament authorizes a strike on Ukraine. With the world on high alert, will Vladimir Putin expand his invasion? There will be costs for any military intervention in Ukraine. So things sound like they're going great there. And of course, the American media has already declared that the Cold War is back and Stalin's in power. Towering above the scenic view, an old Soviet hero, one who himself briefly tried to create an independent state in what is today Eastern Ukraine. History perhaps doomed to repeat itself. Okay, and let's be clear about one thing right off the top. You heard in the clip, she called it Eastern Ukraine. And everybody is calling uh, this geographical place Eastern Ukraine. If people are referring to it as Eastern Ukraine, then Putin's already winning. Well, he's winning the PR war, at least. It's Ukraine. It's just Ukraine. There's no Eastern Ukraine. There's no Western Ukraine. There's just Ukraine. Right. This isn't East and West Germany. Yet. <laughs> right. Well, look, before we get to all that, as always, let's try to put Ukraine in the proper historical context here. Yeah, but not too much context. This ain't history. This is the Blitztery! The Iron Age, where nomads like the Sumerians, Scythians, and Sarmatians roamed the land now known as Ukraine. The Romans in the Byzantine Empire dragged the region into the Common Era. And the Goths take control. But they can't hang on and now the Huns have it. The Slavic tribes are moving in. And it's over to the Bulgars. And now the Khazars. We got a real nail-biter here. Ninth century A.D. Kiev Rus. The legendary Slavic city-state is founded, stretching from the Baltic Sea to the Black Sea. First ballot Hall of Famer for sure. Maybe it was founded by the Eastern Slavic tribes. Or maybe it was the Vikings. Nobody knows. Nobody can agree. A fight over lineage in Ukraine? Can you believe it? 988 A.D. Christianity sweeps the nation under the reign of Vladimir the Great. But as we head into the 12th century, here come the Mongols! The Golden Horde comes rumbling, stumbling, bumbling in. They split the land with Poland, Lithuania, the Cossacks, the Tatars, and the Ottomans round out the roster. Then in the 18th century, 
Catherine the Great helps herself to most of what is now Ukraine and Crimea, cementing Russia as a true empire. Don't forget the Habsburgs. And at the end of World War I, Ukraine breaks free. A short-lived victory as the new Soviet Union quickly reclaims the land in the 1920s. And now it's World War II and the Nazis, and what a disaster for Ukraine. And then it's back, 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 back to the USSR and Stalin for the Yukis. And it's bad news right through the 1980s. Just when you thought it couldn't get worse, a nuclear meltdown in Chernobyl and this game just got out of hand. 1991, the Soviet Union falls. And from its ashes, like a phoenix, rises an independent Ukraine. 2004, the Orange Revolution. Viktor Yanukovych faces off against Viktor Yashchenko for president amidst reports of massive corruption and voter fraud. And Yushchenko takes it all! 2010, Yanukovych is back! Yanukovych! But the honeymoon is over when Yanukovych ditches plans to join the EU and protesters take it to the streets. 2014. Yanukovych flees the capital as the opposition takes over, but pro-Russian forces seize buildings in Crimea and across Ukraine, including Donetsk and Kiev. Which brings a head-to-head face-off between the East and West not seen since the Cold War. Who knows what the future will hold for the long-suffering Ukraine? But you'll hear all about it right here first. Ah, the Blitzstrom. And the Mongols again. The Mongols! Back to the Mongols. Back in the USSR. Back to the Ukraine. I guess its Facebook status is, it's complicated. Yeah. uh, Well, when are we not in a place that's complicated? Right? I mean, that's part of the fun. Right. Okay, so here's what we know. Uh, Let's start with the protests. Last year, Ukraine's President Yanukovych uh, pissed a lot of people off because he scrapped plans to strengthen ties to the EU. And instead, he made a deal with Putin for cheaper gas, and that strengthened his ties with Russia. Right. And, you know, as you said, it it really upset a good chunk of the Ukrainian population, mainly in the West. They protest. Then in February of this year, there's a clash with police and military, and tragically, dozens of people are killed. So at this point, like a very good, strong leader, Yanukovych takes off. He just <laughs> flees the fucking capital. Jango! So he's gone, and the protesters uh, take over, and they install a new temporary government. Then Putin announces he's sending troops to protect Russian minorities, and he marches into Crimea. Uh, Crimea votes to go with Russia, which makes everything even more convoluted. Meanwhile, pro-Russian forces are taking over buildings from Donetsk to Kiev. Right. And here we are, with everyone calling it Eastern Ukraine like there's actually an eastern and western Ukraine. I think the reason a lot of people are doing that is because there is an ethnic divide between east and west Ukraine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, In the western part, you know, that's where they mainly speak Ukrainian. And in the eastern part, they mainly speak Russian. So this divide is nothing new for Ukraine. No, many believe the name Ukraine means borderlands, as in it's the border between east and west. And I know CNN acts like this all just magically appeared five minutes ago, but this divide uh, in Ukraine is is hundreds of years in the making. Catherine the Great 
is really the one who solidified Ukraine's importance to Russia hundreds of years ago when she expanded her reach. And she's the one who oversaw Russia's golden age. And Ukraine was the breadbasket of the Soviet Union. Right. And Russian leaders, Catherine included, mainly focused on eastern Ukraine. So, Which is why you keep getting all this attention to eastern Ukraine. It, it, the, the point is that the Russification of eastern Ukraine began 250 years ago. Right. And look, Russia, as we know, was basically born out of Kiev in the first place. So Russia's world power has long been tied to Ukraine. Foreign policy experts like to say Russia without Ukraine is a country. Russia with Ukraine is an empire. <laughs> okay, Benari, are you suggesting that Vladimir Putin may be obsessed with Ukraine as part of some attempt to revive the Russian Empire and serve as its new overlord? Kevin, remember a few years back when everybody went nuts over Vladimir Putin singing Blueberry Hill at a charity event? <laughs> I found my field. I can't even tell you. I cannot even tell you how much I love this video with its weird. I mean, on top of Putin singing Blueberry Hill, the video has just the weirdest assortment of 1980s stars. Yeah, randomly, they just cut to Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell, and they're just smiling and clapping along. <laughs> and of course, well, of course, Gerard Depardieu is there. Here's the thing. I think Putin was calling his shot back in 2010. I think when Putin was singing Blueberry Hill, he was really singing about Ukraine. <laughs> Though we're apart, you're part of me still? He's totally singing about Ukraine. <laughs> He's found this thrill. On Blueberry Hill And linger until My dreams came true He will linger there until his dreams come true, people. Wake up. He's hanging around Ukraine until he can make his dream come true for a new Russian empire. And yet again, in another episode, we have a crazy Benari Poulton conspiracy theory. Yeah, but Kevin, you have to admit, the words eerily fit what's going on right now. I, I don't know and, if it all fits. Well, it kind of sounds like he's thinking about Ukraine. And if he is, you know, calling your shot through song is a pretty baller move. It's a total supervillain play. Well, this I'll grant you. Like all good villains, Vladimir Putin is a real renaissance man. He's singing, he's playing piano, he's clearly an artist, and he loves judo. We know he likes to stay in shape. He can't keep his shirt on. <laughs> he may have 20,000 troops massing on Ukraine's eastern border, but that didn't stop President Vladimir Putin from taking a few minutes to announce a new program for Russia's future. It's actually a Soviet-era throwback, a fitness routine originally launched by Stalin called... Ready for labor and defense. Ready for labor and defense. Work makes you free. Jesus. And Stalin, he's basing, he's basing his fitness program on Stalin, the guy responsible for the purges in Ukraine. Where does Vladimir Putin find time for all of this? Well, 
he got a little help from his friends. And to sell his vision, he enlisted an American sidekick. The movie star Steven Seagal. Steven Seagal! It's always Steven Seagal. Of course! When we talk about Russia, every time! Famous for beating up bad guys in movies like Fire Down Below Come on, that's not and Under off. Siege. This appears to be a bromance fueled by testosterone and a mutual love of martial arts, as Seagal explained on Russian television last fall. I was immediately, you know, taken and impressed and, you know, sort of really uh, wanting to get to know this man deeper and deeper. Steven Seagal goes deeper and deeper. Okay, well, they work together, but just how well does Steven Seagal really know Putin? I know him well enough to know that he is one of the greatest world leaders, if not the greatest world leader alive today. <laughs> oh, well, okay. <laughs> well, that's... The greatest. He's the greatest. <laughs> that does it, right? There you have it. On the authority of Steven Seagal, Vladimir Putin is the greatest world leader alive today. I guess this brings us to our next segment. What the fuck does Steven Seagal think about Ukraine? A Russian newspaper quoted Seagal as saying Russia's actions in Crimea were reasonable. He also called American policy towards Ukraine idiotic. The biggest question I have from that clip is not why is Steven Seagal uh, calling Putin reasonable and the U.S. policy idiotic. Uh, my biggest question is what's Charlie Rose doing on a morning show on CBS? <laughs> well, that's a good question. It's Charlie Rose. So... You know, whatever story he's covering, he's going to elevate the level of discourse. Right. And how did his co-anchors elevate the discourse? Well, listen, I'm sitting over here a little a little fatty, McFat fat myself, but doesn't Steven Seagal look like he's been eating a lot of Russian borscht lately? He has lately? moves. Yeah. He has moves, and I saw some double chin action. Yeah. <laughs> Not a look you're going for, huh, Charlie Rose? No. Charlie Rose and friends, ladies and gentlemen. Oh. <laughs> so, anyhow, some people aren't so happy with Steven Seagal's pro-Russia comments, surprisingly, and the, the U.S. being idiotic. Speaking of elevating the level of discourse... So Seagal is, is siding with Putin and Russia against his own country. I, I understand these comments were made from Romania, where Seagal He's is doing a movie. what? Exactly. He's shooting a movie there. He's a big star there, and he and Vladimir Putin have you know somewhat of a love connection uh, over the past year or so. They're complimenting right? each other. Exactly. They're no, you know nothing. they're simpatico. Bill O'Reilly on Steven Seagal. Now that's a cage match I would pay to see. Leave it to Bill O'Reilly in the span of 10 seconds. He can't just bash Steven Seagal. He also has to start bashing Romania out of nowhere. Like, what did, what did Romania have to do with any of this? It's just, it's classic. O'Reilly, the xenophobia, uh, homophobia. But at least he didn't bash women. Yet. And what's what's going on with the hair there? I can't quite figure out the hair. He's got that's sort going of a, you, an you know? Elvis John Travolta do going. Yeah. It takes a lot of work. That takes See, a lot uh, of work. You know, but you ladies, you, you're into the hair more. I, I don't quite go. That's the Bella Lugosi look. And there it is. He just <laughs> can't help himself. So Steven Seagal, and I understand you called him, tried to get a comment. and he tried to get in touch with him. Yeah, yeah. what happened? Uh, he, he's unapproachable, unreachable at He this wouldn't point. take Martha McCallum's call? He wouldn't take call? Martha McCallum's And he likes call. Putin. And he likes Ooh, Putin. Ooh, I don't know. And they're doing You don't a... want to talk to McCallum, but you're liking Putin. Funny. Fox had no problem getting in touch with Steven Seagal a few months earlier when Mike Huckabee had him on the show and he was slobbering all over him. In real life, he's become an unofficial ambassador who's developed a friendly relationship with Russian President Vladimir Putin, something our own president has not been able to do. Steven Seagal joins me now. It's an honor to have you here. Thanks for uh, being part of the show. 
So in January, it was great to be best buds with Putin. But now, not so much. You don't know. Maybe Bill O'Reilly had a problem with it, Benari. You don't know. If there's one thing I do know, it's that Bill O'Reilly is a model of consistency and a man of reason. We'll do it live! Fuck it! Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! Right. Fucking thing sucks! A classic. All right, well, let's go back to the Ukraine and how much Russia wants it back. Uh, because, Kevin, you're a quarter Ukrainian. Yes. How does it feel to be so wanted? <laughs> well, do you feel wanted? <laughs> well, yeah, no, it's true. My, my grandmother is Ukrainian. Uh, she left uh, Ukraine to come to Canada the early part of uh, last century. And do you, do you still have family there? What do they think about what's happening? Uh, actually, you know, it's it's sad. I, I have no idea. We don't know very much about grandma's family because, uh, you know, the Iron Curtain fell. And Wait, you don't know anything about the family in Ukraine and your grandmother fled Eastern Europe under mysterious circumstances in the early 20th century. Dude, you're totally Jewish. <laughs> well, I, it's I, certainly possible. I mean, I, we just... We, we don't know that, but I mean, her name was Mary, and she was pretty Catholic. My Zadie's mother's name was Mary. That doesn't mean anything. They called her Bubby May. That's a classic move for Jews fleeing Eastern Europe. You change your name, you change your religion, you change your hair, everything. You're, you leave the... What, what religion are you? I'm a Catholic. I'm totally not Jewish. <laughs> What's your name? Something not Jewish. It's Mary Canuck. <laughs> well, actually, you know, we I just found out a couple days ago uh, what my grandmother's maiden name was. Uh, her maiden name was uh, Rezidnik. Are you kidding me? Rezidnik? <laughs> I, I swear. What year did she leave Ukraine? Uh, we think we think it was around 1930. Dude, your grandmother <laughs> flees. Ukraine. She's already been through the Cossacks, the pogroms. She's not sticking around for the Nazis. Changes her name, I promise you. Before she was Mary Janice, she was Miriam Rositnik of the Ukraine Jews. Okay? <laughs> Welcome to the tribe. Kevin Janice, M-O-T. This, this actually brings up something that I wanted to talk about, which are Ukrainian Jews. <laughs> Anti-Semitic pamphlets handed out in eastern Ukraine telling Jewish citizens to register or face deportation. So longtime listeners might remember that we used to do a formal segment on the show called, Is This Good for the Jews? And we stopped doing it because the answer was always no. This is terrible. Yeah, that's so, so we just stopped asking the question. But this particular story is actually quite complicated. For starters, no one has any clue who was behind the leaflets or why. A couple nights ago after Passover services, the congregation was outside the synagogue Three masked men came up and started handing out uh, these leaflets, these flyers, uh, calling on Jews in Donetsk to register and pay a $50 fee. And, and the prevailing wisdom is that this is an effort uh, to paint these, the, the pro-Russian side uh, as radical anti-Semites, to, to, uh, to make them look like uh, you know, members of the fringe. And, and that's why the pro-Russian side was so quick to come out and deny it, because they don't want to be painted uh, as this fringe element. Okay, so we have the leaflets handed out. No one knows who did it. And to be fair, a lot of people think they're forgeries. The pro-Russian side denies doing it and says they're being framed. What would have happened, though, if Jews actually showed up to register? I mean, luckily, they, they didn't. They saw for what it was. But how do, we know, how do we know some Jews didn't just show up? 
Oh, don't worry. No Jews showed up. ABC News was all over it. And they went so far as to invite us inside their occupied building today uh, to go up to the room, room 514, where this leaflet said the Jews had to go register. They took us into the office. It was an empty office. There was no one inside. It looked like your, your standard uh, administration building uh, office. There was nothing on the walls or a couple files. Uh, but they took us in there to show us, look, we're not we're not doing anything like that. This is absolutely ridiculous. Oh, well, an empty room. That proves everything. <laughs> look, empty room, no juice. And, and it could only be this room. There couldn't possibly be any other rooms in this entire building that has Jews in it. Believe me, you think we would advertise on Flyer Room 514? If it's up to me, I choose 227. Big fan of Jack A. Sandra's here. Let the games begin. There's no place like home. I mean, no place, child. <laughs> What did ABC think the room would look like? We saw no obvious signs of Jews or Jewry. There was nothing Jewy looking in anything. In fact, this whole building has no Jews. <laughs> There's no Jews anywhere. <laughs> By the way, isn't it more suspicious that it was an empty room? Like, they just they just took over this building and there's nothing on the walls? There's not even a picture of Putin or Mother Russia or Anna Kornikova? No, they had to tear down all the anti-Semitic posters before ABC got there. Okay, there you go. Whoever was behind the flyers, any way you look at it, it's bad for the Jews. Mainly because now Ukrainian Jews have become this political football. Right, e you know, even Putin has gotten into the act using terms like uh, pogrom to describe the Maidan revolution, calling the Ukrainian opposition Nazis. He's really tried to play up Ukraine's admittedly troubling anti-Semitic history. Oh, yeah. Well, protecting Jews from the Russian-hating neo-Nazis uh, of the Ukrainian nationalists was even part of his defense for sending troops. Uh, you know, Putin tried to win over Jews by lumping them in with the Russian ethnic minority. <laughs> yeah, but um, it actually had the opposite effect. Ukrainian Jews saw right through it and have actually come out in support of Ukraine's interim government. Of course, that's not a super awesome choice, uh, since Ukraine has a terrible track record when it comes to its treatment of Jews. You know, whether it was pogroms in the 18 and 1900s, the Nazis, the commies. Well, you don't have to go that far back. One of the ruling parties in Ukraine's new interim government is called uh, uh, Svoboda, which until 2004 was the Social National Party. Does that ring a bell? Oy vey, Nazis. I hate those guys. But all right, I, I don't think it's fair that you're calling them Nazis. National Socialists, even though it's now... <laughs> it's in their name. <laughs> uh, and, and look, back in World War II, they just happened to ally themselves with the Nazis. They, they're friends of the Nazis. Not actual Nazis themselves, right? They're, they're fervently nationalistic. About supporting Nazis. <laughs> look... Not even Mila Kunis is safe from their nationalistic fervor. Mila Kunis may embrace her Ukrainian roots, but it seems the Ukrainian government is no friend of hers, as she has been attacked in an anti-Semitic rant. A slur was reportedly made against the actress, who is currently dating Ashton Kutcher, by a politician in her native Ukraine. According to US website TMZ.com, Jewish groups are outraged that Igor Miroshnichenko said that the 29-year-old was not a true Ukrainian and called her a Zydovka. The statement allegedly translates as dirty Jewess. And according to the website, it is a slur used against Jewish people since the Holocaust. And guess what party Igor belongs to? Svoboda. 
I love the ministry's response. They don't apologize. They just say, that word is in our dictionary, so it's not anti-Semitic. Uh, dirty Jewess is there, so is okay. Totally legal. I ain't saying that she's a gold digger. I'm just saying she's Zhidovka. Basically, the only thing both sides can agree on, no matter who's in charge, it's kind of bad news for the Jews. But look, this is what happens when you have rabid nationalism, right? When you have movements driven by, you know, romantic nationalism, everybody has to prove uh, that they are the most nationalistic. And no one is ever nationalistic uh, enough. I would love to hear you keep saying nationalistic, but all of this seems like regional infighting that doesn't really have anything to do with the U.S. Well, and sh sure, some people might be asking, what the fuck does this have to do with me? And if you're asking that, then maybe you didn't hear our episode on Crimea. So looks like we're just going to have to get fact again. The Ukraine once boasted the world's third largest stockpile of nuclear weapons. So big and powerful. But in 1994, they signed the Budapest Memorandum, banging out security assurances with five world powers, including the U.S., the U.K., and Russia. And between 1994 and 1996, Ukraine gave it all up. They gave it up good. It was hard. But in return, Russia agreed to some tough conditions, including respecting Ukrainian independence and sovereignty within its borders, refraining from the threat or use of force against Ukraine, and consulting with the other world powers if there were any issues. Oh, don't you love getting fact. Oh, yeah. Okay, so after the fall of the Soviet Union, the international community pressures Ukraine to give up its nukes, which it does. Right, but Ukraine's like, hey, these nukes are pretty much the only thing keeping Russia from messing with us, so little help, please. So the U.S. comes along and with the international community says, sure, we won't let Russia pull anything, and then Russia says, yeah, 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 look, we promise, no funny business. So come on, Putin, what about all these vows you made? Oh my God, the vows they were never to be. I told you, I told you Putin was singing about Ukraine. The Ukraine is absolutely his blueberry hill. Oh man. Well, on that note... We're running out of time. Uh, oh, man, there's so much more uh, we could have talked about. I'm going to get absolutely raked over the coals by my Yuki friends. You didn't talk about this. You didn't talk about that. But, I mean, we never got to We never got to Chernobyl. We didn't get yeah, well, to... Ke no, Kevin, no one wants to go near Chernobyl. Unless, Benari, your animal planet's Jeremy Wade on river monsters. I'm in Chernobyl, Ukraine. Fishing the very channels leading to the ill-fated reactor. Searching for a Cold War mutant accused of ripping a diver's hand clean off. My body is being constantly bombarded by radiation and I'm teetering right on the edge of my time limit. When finally, yeah. I set the hook. It's a fish, a fish. So how strange that I should find this fish here, the site of the world's worst radiological disaster. What the holy shit, this guy's amazing. What? 
My body is being constantly bombarded with radiation. Get I, the hell out of there. I can't believe you've never seen him. By the way, this show, River, I love River Monsters. It's actually it's actually very interesting. A fish uh, All right. Well, as long as we're handing out free plugs, Kevin, let's let's plug ourselves. Uh, <laughs> uh, everyone, you can hear us on Progressive Voices on TuneIn and on 980 WCAP where everybody gets it. And subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, we're under the name WTFAW. Check us out on SoundCloud and Stitcher. You can also follow us on Tumblr at WTFAWshow.tumblr. And if you want to hear more about Ukraine and Putin, check out our episodes on Crimea and Sochi. And if there's anything you think we missed or anything you want us to talk about next time, tweet at us. Uh, yeah, you're gonna, Kevin's going to get a lot of tweets from the Yukis. Uh, we're at <laughs> WTFAW Show, at Kevin Janis, and at Benari Lee. Uh, we want to thank Darby and Barry for lending us their voices, and Greg Russ, our sound engineer. Thanks to Stacey Garrett for designing our logo, and... Thanks, Shelly. Thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Kevin Janis. I'm Benari Poulton. Please join us next time when we try to figure out where the fuck are we?